1: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
0: Have you always felt a little odd, a little different? The world is crying out for witches to heal and to rebuild. But do you hear its call, and will you answer? This is a space for free thinking, where I give you tools to explore and build your craft. We all have a divine spark. Join me each week and grow that spark into a fiery beacon. I am your host, Michael Moorcroft, and I'll be bringing you a 101 guide to all things witchcraft and spirituality. This is The Mage's Well. Hey Majors, welcome back to the show for our final episode on the Wheel of the Year, Samhain. Now, a few of you have been messaging me saying what's happening with the show, it hasn't been functioning the way it usually does with a weekly episode. I just wanted a break while I settled in Manchester as i just moved, but I didn't want to stop it altogether, so I've been covering the festivals of the Wheel of the Year. The Majors Well, drumroll... We'll be returning in spring of 2024. Now, I've got a few things to sort out my end and I need to find my rhythm with Manchester and having a full-time job before we can jump into a new season first. But you can follow me on the socials for sexy witchy content and you can subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening and get alerts when the new episodes drop with the new season. While we're speaking about episodes, some that I think would pair nicely. With this episode, would be honouring the dead, Ouija boards, crossroads and corpse roads, burial grounds and graveyards, necromancy, Santa Muerte, and working with spirits, to name a few. These are all quite Samhain, Halloweeny vibes, so check them out afterwards. Now, with that out the way, onto the show. Taking place on the 31st of October, or April 30th if you're in the southern hemisphere, we have Samhain. Marking the end of summer, it was the third and final harvest that involved the slaughter of animals who wouldn't survive the winter, and as a result, a great feast was thrown to honour this, and to get ready for the challenges that winter brought. No other festival is linked to witchcraft, magic, and spirits than that of Samhain a time where death creeps over the land, withering flowers and leaves, and when winter begins to take hold, the cold is coming, and darkness embraces the land far more than the light does. It's in the darkness where we project our fears, insecurities, and the things we label as uncomfortable, unwanted, and at its most extreme, evil. It was on this precipice, this threshold, that celebrations were held, often lasting a week whereby feasting, games, and drinking took place. Samhain is also seen as the time when the underworld poured forth, and open communication with the spirit world was enabled and easier, due to the veil thinning to the point where it might as well no longer exist. It was from this that gave the night its unusual supernatural powers. But it's more than this. The thinning of the veil brought complete upheaval and chaos, as spirits roam our world freely, creating an atmosphere of danger and terror. There are many Irish Gaelic texts and myths that portray Samhain as a time of invasion from other worlds, where the she-mounds open and the Fae pour forth, child sacrifices and prophecies announced by the undead, there's accounts of heroic and royal figures meeting their untimely demise, alongside ancient capitals laid siege to by spirits and monsters. Otherworldly women were seduced by mortal men, while in other stories supernatural beings fought amongst themselves or mated, resulting in truly horrific offspring. Magical items were gifted to important figures, or things were magically stolen from them, resulting in tragic and catastrophic consequences. Samhain was a time of massive flux and upheaval, where the rulebook, once relied upon, ceased to exist. Let's take a look at the name and the origins of the holiday. Samhain is a Gaelic word, meaning end of summer, supposedly. Its origins are murky, to say the least, and actually would have been held on what is now the 11th of November on account of the loss of 10 days when we switch to the Gregorian calendar. However, it's thought that rather than a date marking it as Samhain, it would have been an occurrence in nature, such as the first frost, a dark moon, or when the harvest was completed. Now, if Samhain fell on a Wednesday, there was a really bad omen, as it meant winter would be particularly harsh. The historian Bede names November as Blood Month on account of the annual slaughter of livestock to save on the amount of feed used for the cattle. This slaughtering would have taken place on a dark to a waxing moon, and it's often touted as the marking of the Gaelic New Year. However, there's actually very little evidence of this. Now, when we think of Halloween or Samhain, we think of the dead and ancestors. This originally wasn't the case, however. It was linked to supernatural forces solely. Fires were lit at dusk throughout the UK to ward off otherworldly beings, which included the Fae, Evil Spirits, Goblins, and witches, to name a few. Now, Queen Victoria honoured the tradition in the Halloween of 1874 by having a large bonfire outside of Balmoral Castle, where an effigy of a witch was placed. Now, this all being said... Where does the dead connection come from? Well, it actually came from a Christian Feast of the Dead called All Hallowed Tide, which honoured Halloween on the night of the 31st of October, All Saints Day, which was November 1st, and All Souls Day, which was November 2nd. Now, the word hallow means to make holy or sacred, to sanctify or consecrate, and it can also mean to venerate. and the word was usually only applied to saints. Now, Halloween, or All Hallows' Eve, as it was also known, was when the church basically held a vigil, where worshippers would prepare themselves with prayers and fasting prior to the feast day itself. It was believed that on this day, the dead would visit their old homes and their families, so food and drink was left out for them, as well as the doors being left unlocked, so they could come and go as they pleased. Now All Saints Day started in 603 CE, when Pope Boniface IV created a day to honour the church's saints, both known and unknown, because the church in different local areas created many saints by this time. For more info on saints, check out my Patron Saints of Witchcraft episode, where I discuss which saints are great to work with in terms of your craft and how to honour them. The saints were basically verified magical users that the church liked, and some of them had heavy ties to witchcraft in a nutshell. Now, this day, this All Saints Day, this was originally held on May 13th, which is relevant as it was the final day of the Roman festival called Lumeria where the lemurs, or dangerous spirits of people who had died violent or untimely deaths, were pacified and paid homage to. So All Saints Day was created to fall on this day, and then it moved to November 1st under the reign of Pope Gregory III in April 732, although this date is contested. And this was done, it was thought, as a political move to correspond with and to Christianise Samhain. All Souls Day, on the 2nd of November, honored the faithful Christians who had died and been sent to purgatory, where they must suffer until they were cleansed of their sins. Prayers on All Souls Day were said to help ease their passage, as well as the ringing of church bells afterwards. So these three days were collectively called All Hallow Tide, and by the end of the Middle Ages, around 1400 CE, they were booming in popularity. Now by this time, it had mixed with the pagan holiday, where it was a time for feasting and socializing and when darkness fell, candles were lit and prayers were given for the souls of the dead, particularly ancestral spirits. Now in the highlands, the night was seen as the most important occasion for family celebrations.
1: This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend.
0: Let's have a look at some of the customs practiced during the festival. In the Gaelic areas, so Ireland, Northern Scotland, the Isle of Man, Wales and Cornwall, it was really common for people to practice divination on Halloween, theming it around death, framed by the beginning of the most lethal season, and with the date already connected to the dead, or marriage, which is a death in of itself you could argue. And this also fits with the timing, as traditionally the winter months were considered the most appropriate time for a wedding, because a child conceived in winter would then be born in the warmer winter months, when the likelihood of survival is higher for both child and mother, on account of abundant and warmer temperatures. In Victorian times, Halloween was actually a holiday that rivalled Valentine's Day, cards were exchanged and decorated with beautiful images of witches. Now carrying on with our theme of divination, reading stones on or near the bonfire was common, as well as the burning or casting of nuts. Now the latter was so common that Halloween also bore the name of Nutcrack Night, and in some parts of Scotland, you could get into serious trouble with the church if you were caught selling nuts at dusk on Halloween. There's another odd form of divination that pops up during this time, using cabbage sticks to determine who your lover would be. Now the custom was to steal someone's cabbage while it was growing, preferably from someone who wasn't married. You'd have to enter the garden or wherever the cabbage was growing either blindfolded or with eyes tight shut, and then pull up the first cabbage that you came across. While walking backwards on the way back home, the plant would be examined. How tall or big the cabbage was indicated the person's appearance and figure. If it was crooked, they would have some sort of issue with their body. And when shaking the plant, if the soil clung to the roots, it meant the person would be wealthy. Now, how the center of the cabbage tasted would indicate the person's disposition. Bitter cabbage equals a bitter partner. I mentioned earlier that the powers of the supernatural were at their peak on this night. Now a way to counter this was through the performance of mummers, or geysers. These are generally people who dress up. Now, Orkney boys in the early 20th century would wear women's clothes. And in other parts of the UK, men would dress themselves up in sheepskins and ragged bits of cloth, hiding their faces and calling themselves hags. They scared children, and were disrespectful to adults. This all limited the powers of the supernatural, and kind of kept them in check. It was also a time when children played tricks. Now this starts to happen around the 20th century. In Southern Ireland, the night was known locally as Mischief Night. Doors would be banged, cattle taunted, and released from their holdings, and there was accounts of mild vandalism. In Scotland, stolen cabbages were launched at people's doors, or the stalks were burnt and the smoke blown through keyholes. Which is where the roots of the common phrase, trick or treat, lie. Another common practice which you'll probably be familiar with is the hollowing out of turnips. This was done in Ireland, and horrible faces were carved into them, and then they were used as lanterns to scare undesirables away. There are some theories that these lanterns are symbols of the souls of the dead particularly the souls of unbaptised children and babies. Now, in regards to the lanterns, the dressing up, and the mischief, when the Irish emigrated to America during the 19th century, they took these beliefs with them, where they changed slightly. And America, having increasing cultural importance from that time onwards, imported these concepts into Britain, which combined with Irish immigration throughout the Isles, which is how Halloween became known as it is today. Now fire, it used to be quite a big thing within Samhain, particularly in Scotland, but this got moved to bonfire night on November 5th. Now traditionally, these fires would have been lit on cairns, which are like stone structures dating from the Bronze Age, and they essentially house the dead. Now these fires, they had to be lit via friction, and usually one type of wood, usually oak, this was ideal. And like Beltane, we've got circle dancers and people jumping over them. Now around these fires, specific types of divination were performed with stones. These would be gathered, with each one representing a different family member. After the celebrations, the stones would be examined, and if they had been moved, or if imperfect in some way, the person who that stone represented would die within the year. You may remember from my last episode that crops or fruits picked on the 1st of November were deemed bad and unfit for consumption, based on the supernatural. This was also practical, in that anything left unpicked at this time was probably going to be off and not safe to eat. Now in some areas, the devil was said to have owned whatever was left unharvested on this date. However, in Ireland, it was said the puka had tainted it. Now the puka was either a demonic dog or a horse, that had either urinated or spat on crops on the first, and therefore rendered them unusable. Now I also mentioned that the supernatural battled on this night. The Fae are said to leave the fairy Mounds en masse and engage in warfare with one another, and in parts of Ireland it was thought that the red lichen found on rocks is the blood that had been spilt during these battles. Quote from The Silver Bough, Volume 3, which is a collection of Scottish folklore. At the mouth of the night, between daylight and dark, came abroad ill things to meet, from out of the earth, from out the air, from out the water and the underworld. The mouth of the night is the choice hour of the sleweth, the host of the dead, whose feet never touch the earth as they go drifting on the wind. Of the Fueth, the spirit of terror that frightens folk out of their husk of their hearts. Of the washer, who sits herself in the twilight of the slim green-coated ones, the water horse and whatnot. The light that is shadowless, colourless, softer than moonlight, is ever the light of their liking. At the mouth of the night, along the watercourses' byways, that at the hour of dusk and of lateness, you had best be shunning. You are like to meet them, to west of houses they passed. What to do? Who shall say? Their ways be nowise human. We've also got this belief that the ripening of the crops was said to be down to the fae, and if there was an unusually low yield, it was thought to be down to disturbances in their world. Now offerings to the Fae were often left out around Samhain to curry favour, and to ensure a good harvest next year. Porridge, in particular, was a popular one. A hole would be dug outside, and it would be filled with the offering. Similarly, there's a Breton custom to pour libations over graves and tombs. And within the UK, it was custom to spill blood, else it may be yours that does so. Now, a few deities to work with during this time that would be particularly powerful, would be Persephone, Hecate, Hermes, Saint Cyprian, Hades, Santa Muerte, Anubis, and Osiris, to name a few. But there are many, many, many that you can choose to work with, depending on how you interpret this holiday. Dressing up as monsters during Halloween allows us to create a space where we can digest the unseen and disturbing realm of dreams. Play therapy, reimagined so to speak, where myth and the imaginal mix. But to solely view this holiday for its evilness is somewhat limiting, perpetrated through Christianity and mass media. Hop across the wheel to Beltane and you have hope and joy. Look towards Samhain and you have reality and the need for protection against this reality. Samhain acts as a reminder of the reality of death, as there is only two guarantees in this life, one of change and one of death. And majors, that is a wrap for today's show. As I've said, I will be back in the spring of 2024 for a new season. Um, yeah, you can follow me on the socials at the majors. Well, if you want to support the show, there's memberships with the link in the show description. There's buy me a coffee. Yeah, you could leave a lovely glowing review. That always makes me feel good. Um, It's always lovely to see my work being treasured. Um, yeah, that's a wrap. But before I go, the poem this week is called The Washer of the Ford by William Sharp. There is a lonely stream, afar in a lone dim land. It hath white dust, for sure it has, white bones bestrew the strand. The only thing that liveth there is a naked leaping sword. But I, who a seer am, Have seen the whirling hand Of the washer of the ford, A shadowy shape of cloud and mist, Of gloom and dusk she stands, The washer of the ford. She laughs at times, And strews the dust Through the hollow of her hands. She counts the sins of all the men there, And she slays the red-stained horde. The ghost of all the sins of men must know The whirling sword of the washer of the ford. She stoops and laughs when in the dust she sees a writhing limb. Go back into the ford, she says, and hither and thither win. Then I shall wash you white as snow, and I shall take you by the hand, and slay you here in the silence with this my whirling brand, and trample you into the dust of this white windless sand. This is the laughing word of the washer of the ford, along that silent strand. Peace out, witches, and I'll see you at the crossroads.